preach after that. Let's go to Second Corinthians chapter four. We've been working our way through. Working our way through this letter. Took a break last week. Uh, if you weren't here last week, um, or if you were here and didn't pay attention, or if you were here and did pay attention, probably behoove us all to visit that podcast. And that's not like me to ever say, go listen to my podcast. Uh, I just think it is an important and timely uh, word that God had for us last week. Um, so those podcasts will be up in the next day or two. Check that out. Um, I'm going to try to uh, blast through this um, in the time that we have. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7, um, we have, we revisit the idea of suffering, uh, or Paul revisits it. Um, in chapter 1, it was, you know, he talks about the, the God of all comfort coming to us um, and comforting us in the midst of our affliction and how he does that directly. And then uh, also we we comfort others with the comfort that we've received from him. And so he does it directly and he does it through his church. And so he's all about comforting the afflicted. Um, and so when we looked at, at everything from Haiti and we heard what Missy and Jesse were talking about, I mean, that's that's that. That's crisis intervention um, on, that the Lord does with people directly and through his church. That would be chapter 1. Now in chapter 4, um, he begins to, uh, probably gets to disciple this, this group of believers uh, as far as helping them uh, process that suffering. And so I think chapter 1 is, is like you know, immediate response. Uh, chapter 4 would be, okay, um, you've, you kind of dealt with that initial, I need comfort. Okay. And then now you have it. And now you're, you're starting to, to kind of maybe think through it a little bit, or, you know, and, and try to process, okay, what, what has happened and why and what does this mean and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and so I, I kind of see this as, as Paul teaching them and discipling them kind of a theology of suffering, uh, to help, help them with their perspective. Um, so look at verse seven. Verse seven says, we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. All right? I think that is uh, kind of the uh, the thesis statement for what he's about to build on. And that's the idea. Jars of clay uh, were these, I mean, it was made out of the earth. So if you dropped a clay jar, um, you weren't out a whole lot of money, and you could kind of patch it back together and fix it or whatever, or you just made a new one or, or whatever. Um what was important about the jar was not the jar itself. Um, what was important about the jar is what was inside of the jar. And so he says, basically saying that that's what we are. It's here we are. We have this treasure. We have the gospel that we carry inside of us. And our bodies, they're just jars of clay. They're expendable. They, they get beat up. They, they fall apart. They only last so long. Um, what's important about all this is, is not the jar. It's what's inside the jar. And God has set up this scenario to put this incredible treasure inside of these very ordinary people um, so that what shines the brightest is his glory and what's inside and not what's on the outside. 
Like it's not about us looking good or, or you know, whatever. And, and so kind of what he's saying is, is like, look, don't lose sight of the fact that you're, you're just a clay jar. Like the, the universe is not built around you. Everything doesn't revolve around you. It's not about you. It's about the treasure that's inside of you. And God does incredible things with very, very, very ordinary vessels like us. And so uh, then he goes into um, kind of gives some examples of that. And this is what he says. Uh, this may sound familiar if you were part of the ring in the uh, late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Uh, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Okay? Now, when he, when he lists those, those things right there, uh, starting in verse 8, uh, he says he's afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Afflicted, we talked about, um, the, is the same word used like when they were pressing grapes to make wine and stuff. Is that just the pressure of life? You just, you just feel like something's just cranking on you. That's affliction. Um, and, and that, to me, that's just, that's normal life. And that's all of us go through those times where you just feel pressure. So he's acknowledging that, that pressure. Um, but, it, but then he, he's, he, the next one, he says we're uh, perplexed. That's, uh, that's more emotional. You know, that emotional stress we go under. And he says we're persecuted, and that's, that's social. People are persecuting you. And he says we're struck down, and that is in the Greek, and that's a literal, like, our bodies are getting beat up. So he covers normal, normal life, uh, emotional distress, uh, social distress, physical distress. And all those things, um, we kind of would, would chalk up to, you know, like, hey man, like things are, things are bad right now. This is, this is affliction in every way. I mean, I'm catching it from all sides. Every, every aspect of life where I could suffer, it's, it's happening. Uh, people are turning against me and I'm, I'm emotionally just stressed out. Spiritually, I don't know what's going on. Um, I'm, and I'm literally getting like beaten for my faith. That's what he's saying about their, their situation. Um, and so he, he takes each one of those things and he says, yes, yes, we are afflicted, uh, but we're not crushed. So the pressure of life, it's cranking on me like a grape, but it's not crushing me. So he's not really saying like, well, it could be worse. It's not what he's saying. He's like, yeah, this is hard, but but it's not that hard. Um, well, I'm perplexed. I'm emotionally stressed out, but I'm not to the point of despair. Um, I, yeah, I'm being persecuted, but I, I'm not forsaken. I'm not abandoned. God's not abandoned me. So yeah, socially things aren't real good. I'm getting, I'm, you know, I'm being thrown in jail or I'm being ostracized or whatever. But God hasn't abandoned me. Yeah, I'm being struck down. But what are you going to do to a jar of clay? You know, that part of you, Don Green, just say, what are you, you going to do to a dead man? And he's kind of like, you know, whatever. I mean, you can strike, strike me down all you want. What's going to happen? You what? You kill me, and I get to go be with God? Okay. Fine. And so here's the. Like, if you think about it kind of in two ways, he, he lists these, these four areas of, 
of affliction and strife and whatever. But then he's saying that, yeah, this is happening, but not this. And and he's presenting two two ways of looking at our at, at life, really, and two ways of, of interpreting things. So if chapter one we've we've been through crisis mode and now we're trying to really figure out, okay, what is what is this about? You know, what is what is it that's going on here, and how do I how do I process the fact that you know that um, I've been told I have cancer, or somebody in my family you know has cancer, or um, there's this you know financially um, like super grim picture going on right now, or there was identity theft, or you know, and I've you know um, all this is going on, or whatever, and or all these different all just every scenario you could possibly think of. You've been through the crisis, and now you're trying to figure out what does this mean? What do I even do with this? How do I deal with with this normal affliction, social affliction, emotional stress, spiritual stress, whatever, what do I do with it? If if we have tunnel vision, uh, which that is what my dad said my whole life. Maybe that doesn't exist anywhere else. Maybe that was his own little phrase. But uh, tunnel vision, like growing up, would be, you know, like if you were, you ever had like on the playground growing up, like just the big, like concrete, like pipe culvert things that they would just dump on a playground, like, hey, play with this. And you thought it was the best thing ever. You know, um, like it was literally like DPW was like, hey, we got an extra, you know, tunnel over here. Like, let's give it to the kids. Um, and we would play in that thing or whatever. But if you look down that, like if, if that's your whole perspective, um, and, and if, if you were to take some sort of tunnel, I mean, a giant tunnel like this big, okay, and you were to put it in front of you, and that's how you were to, to look at things, um, you, you see only what's on the other side of that. Um, I tried to, uh, I thought in my head I could just take a roll of paper towels and just take out the cardboard thing in the middle, and it was not that easy. They're, they're glued in there. Uh, and so, uh, and so, but I was going to like bring one of those up and holding that up, uh, because if you think about it that way, what he's saying is, you know, I'm, uh, I'm afflicted, I'm perplexed, I'm uh, persecuted, I'm struck down. If, if you look at it through that, that tunnel vision, and the only thing you're seeing is at the other, other end of that, your perspective is so incredibly limited that the, the only way to interpret that is in a like self-centered way. And so we have these things that we go through, and if if we have tunnel vision, we we're that's what what is happening with us. The only option for us is to be like, well, God must must hate me. God must have abandoned me. I must have done something wrong. You know, whatever. There's it just makes no sense. And like uh, Matt Chandler talks about, like points of termination with things. And so if if you look through that tunnel to interpret your circumstances or interpret that affliction that's going on, you have uh, that tunnel vision, the point of termination is always going to be you. It's always going to be very limited, very earthly, very self-centered. And what Paul is doing is he, he's trying to, to take away that tunnel or take away whatever they're looking at and say, look, there's something bigger that's going on here. So he's using his his own life and the things that he's been through and saying, I, I could I could say, uh, yes, I'm afflicted, and I'm giving up. Or you could take that tunnel vision away, and you could look at the bigger picture and say, yes, I, I'm afflicted, but I'm not crushed. Yes, we're being persecuted, but we're not being forsaken. Yes, they're, they're, they're imprisoning us, locking us up, lock, locking us up, beating us with rods, doing all this stuff, but... But you can't, you can't destroy me. They're not being destroyed. So what I think he's doing is, is conveying to these Corinthians, look, 
your your perspective it cannot be self-centered it cannot be earthly it cannot be self-focused like that you are not the termination point there's a, a bigger story going on god there's there's more going on constantly than 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 we recognize the point of termination has got to always be the lord in that bigger story that he's right He's trying to, to get them to expand the way that they interpret things. And that's where he's been himself. He's been through the crisis and in trying to process what's going on. He's, he's come to the point where he's able to see the fact that, that God's doing something here. It's like when we watched the, the Haiti video. I mean, you could, you could look at that and you can, could definitely just say, like, where's God? How can he let this happen? And all these kinds of things. Or you take the blinders down and you look at them and you look at the video and you see that kid's smiling. Those kids are singing songs about being held in the arms of the Lord. Uh, something bigger is going on. Now, do you bust down to Haiti and tell them all that? No. You show up in Haiti, you go chapter one. You bring you bring that comfort and you love them and you hug them and all that kind of stuff in our own lives, for believers who are trying to help make sense of this and involve Jesus in what's going on, we have, we, we have to, to make sure that we don't have this tunnel up, only allowing us to see this very limited, very self-centered perspective on things. We recognize there's something bigger going on. Look at, look at where he goes from there. Um, he explains it. Uh, verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. See, he's, he's identifying himself with Jesus. See, Jesus comes and Jesus suffers and, and dies and, you know, everything that Jesus did, okay? Um, was about the glory of God through our transformed lives and our redemption. Jesus laid himself down. And what Paul is saying is, I too see myself as one to be laid down like the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can show up. Um, I, I read this week in The Good and Beautiful Guy, he talks about the, like, like the grain of wheat that must fall to the ground and die so that it can then produce life. And Paul's saying like he's saying like that's that's now how I see my my suffering is stepping into the the same ways of Christ. I'm saying what what is most important is the glory of God. So whatever I need to do to lay my life down so that He can then bring life out of that, I'm going to do it. Oh, it's almost like he's he's saying that that God like cre- creates um, these opportunities as life plays out, and, and these are opportunities for Him to just completely show off in the midst of what seems to be like what seems to be death. Now, again, I'm not saying you, you know, someone gets diagnosed with cancer and you go to them and you say, oh, this is so awesome because God now can show off in your life. No. Chapter one is what you do in that situation. If you are then processing your parents' cancer, grandparents, your own, or uh, that's just an example. It could be any sort of, anything that we go through. When you're processing it on your own, you go to chapter four. Say how how can I make sure that that I don't have that tunnel vision that terminates with me, but I want that eternal kingdom perspective that terminates with God. 
to recognize that God is writing a bigger story. What Paul is saying, in a sense, is who, who better to have cancer? Who better to go through some of the horrible things that we go through in life than redeemed believers? Who better than the saints? Because when the saints lay their life down, the life of Christ springs out of that and brings life to others. What a difficult thing. I mean, how, how do you get to that point where you're like, yes, I'm embracing this difficulty. I'm embracing this financial time. I'm embracing this this terrible time at work. I'm embracing just whatever. Name, name, you know, choose your own adventure. How do you get to the point where you're just owning that? You know? I, I don't know. You don't flip a switch. You know? I mean, you don't, you don't just like, oh, okay, I'm going to walk out here tonight and totally embracing this. No. I believe it is something that God shapes in us as we mature. And I think that Paul is just, he's just discipling these people in this. With that last verse where he says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. To get to where you're like, look, I may be dying and wasting away, and I'm, I'm just a jar of clay. What's most important is the treasure and the life that it can bring. You want to talk about maturity, that's, that's maturity. I think for us, we, to look at wherever you are and to look at that and say, okay, I, Lord, I want you to bring me, bring me there. I think that's what, that's what we do. Look at the next, next little run here. Verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. He's, he's quoting Psalm 116. What's awesome uh, about, uh, well, lots of things are awesome about Hebrew culture, but he would just have to just quote this one line, and they would automatically know it because they had everything memorized. Uh, and so he's, here's this psalm where David is saying, basically saying, I have faith in the midst of my affliction. Paul's saying, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat. Righteousness, like righteous people, we suffer, but we believe in the midst of it. expected. It's going to happen. Look at the, the next thing. 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. I mean, he's like basically just throwing his hope way down the line. Saying, look, this, yeah, this might be hard or whatever, but you know what? One day, this is all coming to an end. Jesus is going to come back and there'll be no more dying, no more suffering, no more sin, no more flesh, no more just ridiculousness, no more disease, no more uh, betrayal, no more uh, money to worry about, no more stress, no more whatever. Like everything is, it's all temporary. It's all going, it's just all going there. So instead of having tunnel vision and looking just down that little deal and, and it terminating on me, I'm going to throw it way down there, take away the blinders, let it terminate on the Lord. And look, get a, get a kingdom, Jesus-centered perspective on your suffering. It changes it. It changes everything. Verse 15. For it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Think, think about life being like this verse. That our perspective is like, okay, more grace to more and more people leads to more and more thanksgiving, to so more and more glory. So however grace can flow from my life into the life of more and more people, 
that will lead them to praise and thank the Lord for his glory. It, whatever it takes for that to happen, then I'm, I'm going to do that. So I'm going to embrace whatever it is because think about how much glory God gets in the midst of just the worst possible things ever. Think about how much glory is happening in Haiti, how much glory happened when the church responded to Katrina and all these hurricanes, all these things all over the world. Think about the glory that God got through his own son dying on the cross. Dude shows off in the midst of suffering. That's that he, he is the only one who can do that. So as we go through life, that's, that's, that's the perspective that he wants us to have. Not one that terminates on self, that only sees affliction and being perplexed and being persecuted and being struck down. The one that looks at it and says, hey, he's writing a bigger story. This is a rough chapter. But I know how it ends. And it's going to be awesome. He closes in this last paragraph. So we do not lose heart. Through our, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, I love this, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You want to talk about a solid paragraph? You, we could just be here all night if we wanted to pick that apart. But I, I think you understand what, what he's saying. Like, yeah, be, be frustrated. Be tired. Be fed up. But don't focus on what you see. Because something is happening in what you don't see. That's beautiful. And eternal. Glorifying to the Lord. That through your cruddy little life. Through my cruddy little life. God brings glory to himself. That through my suffering and your suffering and our collective suffering, as we go through all these difficult things in life, he brings beauty out of that? I mean, phenomenal. And so how we do that is, like, it's, it's actually kind of kind of simple. Um, not so much like how you get to the point where that's how you see it all the time right away, but how do we move one step closer to that? Uh, I think you just simply take the blinders off. And so what we're going to do, the band's going to come, we're going to sing a little bit, and I think that that is how the blinders come down. Not necessarily, not necessarily singing, but like intentional response. So band, you guys come on up. Hey, Sarah. Here's, here's what I want us, us to do. Um, I'd like for us to uh, stand up. There you go. And, and you, might, you might not be here in the midst of suffering. Like your life might be like the best day ever today. I get that. Even on the best day ever, and even when things are going really well, you understand affliction. Because you've either just been through it, 
or you're about to go through it or whatever. Every one of us can relate to this. And we can all relate to the concept of tunnel vision, I think, and and ourselves being the termination point. And that's not being able to see beyond what's there. I remember when I was a kid, we had this shed, and it had all these bumblebees in it. And uh, we all that's like where all the lawnmowers and stuff were. And so we always hated going to drag them out because, like, you straight up get stung. And the thing is, we never got stung. We just thought we were going to because we've been stung enough other places. But we never got stung there. So one day my dad was like, well, the reason you're not getting stung is because that kind of bumblebee, they don't stink. Somebody had a white dot on its head or something. And so he's like, why don't you just, just go kill them? And it, it was weird at first. We were like, yeah, but those things sting you. But once our dad told us, like, the reality of, like, no, they don't sting you. They just fly at you, freak you out. We're like, oh, okay. And he gave us these badminton rackets. And he kind of had, it was kind of like a man on fire moment. He was like, you kill them all. <laughs> all right. And we had a bumblebee massacre that day. Um, here's why I tell that story. Because at, we, when we, we saw those things, we saw them as a threat to us. Once our father changed our perspective, we're like, oh, whatever. Let's do this. And I think that that's a really weird story that hopefully can teach us something big. Because when we go through things, at first it looks like such a threat to us. And it's such a drag. You know, like this, I hate this about life. But when our Father changes our perspective, we say, oh, it's, oh, it's just that. I, I can handle that. I, I can do that. I can make it through that. And what changes perspective for us is taking the blinders down. But when we take the blinders down, it's not that we now look at that affliction differently. It's that we see everything else going on. And everything else going on is our good and beautiful God at work around us. And so when we take the blinders down, we're really just looking at him. And when we look at him, our perspective on that little affliction, that little annoying, light, temporary, momentary, whatever, completely changes, and it casts a whole different light on it. So rather than have us be self-centered tonight in, a, in um, our just response time as we sing a song or two, um, we're just going to be God-centered because that is the way the perspective shifts. So here's what I'd like you to do. Spend, I mean, just a minute asking God to shift your perspective on whatever it is in life. You may not have been told you had cancer, but there's something pressuring you in life, cranking on you. Spend a second, pray about it. As we sing, ask God just to take the blinders down and just cast new light on what that threat is. Just let you see it for what it really is in light of it.